So our reading today comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 27. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give a false testimony, and you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Asia. Thank you, Jonathan, as well, and Jonathan, for all your hard work on uh, the budget. Huge amount of work goes into that, so I'm really grateful. And um, welcome again. If you're here for the first time, uh, if you're visiting, particularly warm welcome to you. I'm Toby. I'm the vicar here. Uh, welcome if you're online. It's great to have all of you here today. And uh, as we've been saying, we've been looking at vision the last two weeks. So we're also uh, in a, ho a series on holiness, on distinctiveness. And so what I want to do is pick up uh, some of that. Last week, uh, again, a huge thank you to all those of you who signed those cards. 141 cards is amazing. Uh, the number of people who want to get stuck in, and uh, really, really grateful for that. But we're going to look tonight um, at our vision again, and you've heard it already. Uh, the vision of this church is to play our part in the evangelization of the nation, so giving people a chance to hear about Jesus, the revitalization of the church, and the transformation of society. That is an amazing picture and another way of describing that picture, if you can picture that happening, is revival. Revival is a picture of the church and the world being transformed by God. And so that's what we are passionate about, is praying for, working for, seeking for revival. And there have been quite a few revivals in the church over the centuries since the church was first founded. What often seems to happen is that people get to a point of desperation. They get to a point of desperation in society and saying, this is not working. We cannot fix it. We need help. We need God. There's a crying out. In the church, there can be a desperation and saying, you know what, you know, 
lights and smoke machines aren't going to cut it. Great coffee is not revival. Uh, but we are desperate to see God move in our time. That's, that's kind of what happens. And what happens is desperate people come and begin to repent, to let go of all the stuff that's holding them back. Worship God, pray, seek his face, and things begin to change in their lives and then in the world around them. And it's happened numerous times. Let me just remind you, 18th century, the Wesleyan revival. We had John and Charles Wesley who were, uh, preached on these streets right here, Baldwin Street. Uh, they preached on Whitfields. And as they did, as they hungered for the Lord, things began to change in the city. And the knock-on effects were felt by the poor because the church was mobilized and empowered to go and make a difference. Uh, the Great Awakenings in the U.S. in the 18th and 19th century. Sousa Street in the 20th century, the Pentecostal church was born. Uh, the Hebridean and the Welsh revivals uh, in Wales and in Scotland. Uh, the 70s, the Jesus Revolution. Uh, there were these hippies. Uh, it was very interesting. I came across these two Time magazine covers. There's the first Time magazine cover, I think, uh, we've got, which is um, uh, a Time magazine cover. Could we put the first one up, uh, which we've got there, which is this. This was Time magazine, and you can see uh, on where it's written, it says April uh, 1966. The question on Time magazine was, is God dead? In other words, the church is in decline. It's all going wrong. Maybe God doesn't exist after all. And then the second uh, cover that we've got, uh, we're going to put up, is this one. The Jesus Revolution, and this is from 1972, <laughs> can't see, anyway, uh, anyway, six years, yes it is, six years, six years later, six years later, the Time, Mag Time Magazine is saying, what is going on, the Jesus Revolution, the Re Jesus Revolution was hippies coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and there was this whole movement across uh, the west coast of the states, which bore, um, there was so much fruit that came from that. Uh, the Vineyard Church was born kind of from that time. Uh, it was an outpouring. And this is the temptation, is to look at our society and say, nothing can change. This is getting worse. But that is not true when God's involved, because God can change anything. Uh, if you were um, around in the... Uh, uh, 80s, um, and this is dating people, Jonathan and I, probably you're the, <laughs> the only one who were around in the 80s, but there was uh, uh, what's known as the charismatic renewal within the Anglican church, but also uh, in other, other denominations around the UK. Uh, the Toronto Blessing, the Toronto Blessing in the 90s was uh, a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I personally, I had an amazing encounter with God when I was 11 years old, which totally changed the course of my life, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that move of God in my life. And what I'm hungry for is another move of God. And what I am excited to see is the beginnings of something again happening. I'd love to talk just for a little bit about what's been happening in Asbury. You may have heard about this. Uh, it is a, a, a tiny little town uh, called Wilmore in Kentucky. It had, I don't know, it's something like 60,000 residents. It's tiny and uh, they have there two things. There is a university and there is a seminary. And in, uh, this is four weeks ago, uh, almost of the day, there was a normal chapel service uh, in the university. It wasn't in the seminary. It wasn't all the sort of, you know, pastors training. It was in the university with the students. And uh, they had a very unremarkable service, apparently. 
The guy who gave the talk that day apparently contacted his wife afterwards and said, I did a terrible job at that sermon. It was terrible. And, so, and most people uh, left. Nineteen students remained behind. And those 19 students just felt this sense of, of what I've just been talking about, praying for God to do something, praying for change in their lives, repenting of stuff that was going on in their lives, and worshipping the Lord. There was this hunger for God. And what happened is they carried on praying, and other people joined them, and more people joined them, and this thing went on for two weeks. And the, what they estimate is over 100,000 people have visited this tiny town over the course of those two weeks. Now, as Dave was talking about the other week, uh, uh, this is what Pete Gregg's um, sort of description, is uh, what's happening Asbury everything? No. Is it something? Yes. And I think the reason why it's something it's because there's a bit of a knock-on effect. I think it's a hunger that people across the world share. And I feel that here, is that we are hungry for God. You know, we've tried everything. We've tried the best, you know, possible coffee and donuts. They're wonderful, but it doesn't bring a revival. We're desperate for God to move in our hearts and to change something. Uh, so uh, Pete Gregg, director of 24-7 Prayer this week, uh, he wrote an article about the popcorn effect. Uh, he basically was talking about popcorn. I don't know if you used having popcorn, you put it in the microwave. And the, the popcorn, the kernels reach a certain temperature. Uh, if they reach 170 degrees, 34% of the corns will pop, apparently. It's a scientific fact. Uh, they will pop. And, and his point was like, I think that's what's going on now. There is popping happening, not just in uh, Kentucky, but across the U.S., across the world, certainly in this country. My friends who lead churches, I, we've been talking, we've been discussing. There's something going on. Uh, but Pete Gregg's point is we want to pray that that temper doesn't go down again, but we see it increase. Because if we see it increase, apparently uh, if you get another 10 degrees to 180 degrees, 96% of the kernels will pop. And that's what we'd love to see. Wouldn't you love to see 96% of churches in this country just being filled with the Holy Spirit and an amazing move of God? And I think that's happening here. I said that already. There's been some really exciting stuff going on. It's the beginnings of something. That the student weekend away. I don't know how many of you were on the student weekend away. Uh, <laughs> Um, but it was an amazing sense that God is doing something there, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we had our week of prayer two weeks ago. We had the 24-7 prayer room open, 88 slots of people praying for an hour, 88 hours of prayer, 150 people coming through the building. Kingdom come we had at the end of the week, and people just crying out to God, please would you do something in our time and in our way. And I think there's this hunger for God that is growing. And uh, this is a picture of the beginnings of something. But I'm, I'm, I'm with Pete Gray. I want to see more. And um, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of the world that we live in. We are in desperate times. We need God. So uh, this is a picture of revival. The, our vision statement is a picture of revival. This is what we're longing for, praying for. But the way that Jesus described it uh, is not revival. The, the term that he used was the kingdom of God. This is what he talked about, the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God is coming. The king, kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in the heart of an individual, and then in the heart of many individuals, and then in a community, and then in a city. It is where Jesus is on the throne. He's in charge. 
And uh, we'll see that fully when Jesus returns. The kingdom of God will be fully there. But we also see it breaking in in parts. And I think that's what we're seeing now is a breaking in of the kingdom of God in certain places and in people's hearts. And I would, don't you long for that to happen more? Don't you long for uh, confidence to return to Christians, to the church, to boldly say, Jesus is alive? Don't you long to see uh, that overflowing into the streets, the hope to return to the environment to be changed, the, uh, the hungry fed, the sick healed, the prisoners set free, the homeless housed? Don't you long for that? The question is how? How can we do that? And that's why I, I've chosen this passage to speak on today that Asia read earlier. Because Jesus has three clear things that we can do if we want to see the kingdom of God breaking in. So the first is this. Receive like a child. Receive like a child. Verse 15. This is what Jesus says. He says, I think we've got it on the screen. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The context for this passage is Jesus has been approached by some Pharisees, some legal experts, some elders who are trying to trap him with a question about divorce. And Jesus, as ever, is super smart. He sidesteps their, their trap and uh, he basically says to them, why are your hearts so hard? And it echoes the words of the writer of Hebrews. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's so easy to have a hard heart. If you live in the world that we live in for any length of time, your heart will become hardened. That's the natural way of things. We go towards entropy. We go towards a kind of uh, hardening of our hearts. It's the natural thing of living in the world that we live in. And if I'm honest, my heart has at various times in my life been really hard. And I think even over the last couple of years, I think, you know, lockdown and pandemic, it's felt hard. I don't know if you felt that too. Uh, and there's very good reasons for how people, people's hearts get hard. You go through tough stuff. You're, you have to harden up. And I, I'll be honest, when I heard about the Asbury revival, I was a bit cynical. I was a bit like, well, you know, I've heard, I've heard people talk about amazing things happening. It's in America after all. These things always happen in America. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry, whoever. Yeah, anyway, uh, I love America. I love America, and I love Americans. But anyway, there's part of me that was a bit cynical, I'll be honest. It was a, I was a bit hard. But you know what, what happened is that I began to listen to the stories of people who had been there, friends of mine who'd been out to visit them. And the things that came out was, was not what I was expecting. First of all, nothing was planned. You know how we love to plan and strategize what we're going to do. There was no strategy. What happened was that a few students who weren't in charge just decided they wanted to go after God. And things began to, to, get, to grow. The second thing, what was amazing, was there's no, there's no one famous in Asbury. There's no superb preacher or you know, worship leader that anyone's ever heard of. There was this guy who made an absolute horlicks of a sermon. And yet God was at work there. And it was all based in prayer. It was a hunger for God. Not for anything else, but for God. 
And as I heard these stories and I've talked to friends who've been out there, what you pick up is this sense in which people are just hungry for the Lord and the Lord is delighted with that. He is delighted with that hunger. And there's a, there's a t- now w- what I'm saying here is not that we need to stop being analytical. And I don't think that's what Jesus means when he says being a child. Uh, he also says at another point, be as innocent as doves, so like a child, but also as wise as serpents. There's an importance to be wise. We're supposed to discern these things. Is this of God or not? Uh, so you don't, it, there's no, it's okay to analyze. But I think what we're, what we're warned against is having hard hearts, cold hearts that have just switched off from expecting anything. And Jesus values children in a way that the contemporary society did not. Children were not valued at all in that society. And so for Jesus to welcome the children to him, the disciples go, oh, get the children away from Jesus. He's far too important. And Jesus says, no, no, welcome them. And I love that about Jesus. And I think there's a few things that we can learn from this. First of all, we need to learn, we need to learn from people who are younger than us. It's ve- this, the, the whole of our world is completely the other way around. We learn from people who are wise and mature, but actually we can learn from those who are younger than us. And the, ma- the greatest example is a young child. feel like there's nothing to be taught by these. But uh, what I loved about Kingdom Come was there were three um, sort of, we had a chance for people to share words and pictures. And the three words that I've heard come back to me were from uh, an, uh, a couple of uh, 12-year-olds, or three 12-year-olds. How old's Paddy, Emma? Twelve, exactly, yes. So Paddy, Izzy, and Theo had these three words. I love that. It was children who were hearing from the Lord. I want to listen to those words. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to um, pull those out okay, uh, later on in this, in this talk. I'm also so grateful. What I'd love to encourage us is to do, how can we learn from those who are younger, but also how can we invest in those who are younger? And I think there is a huge impact. I'm so grateful for the students in this church. I am learning so much from you. I had an amazing time on Tuesday morning. We had our staff meeting. And um, some of our staff, the younger staff, said, can we gather around you and pray? And it was just so humbling to be prayed for. And I was like, yeah, I want more of what you are hungering for too. So why don't we learn from those who are younger, invest in those younger. Apparently, uh, thank you so much to those who invested, decided to invest in our kids. We've got the holiday club, the extravaganza coming up. If you want to get involved and serve, what better way to invest in the younger generation? Uh, but it's amazing. So learn from those who are younger. Move from achieving to receiving. Move from achieving to receiving. Children, don't achieve an awful lot. I have a one-year-old called Emma, and she literally achieves nothing every day. She is not a contributor to our household in any way. She doesn't produce anything. Uh, All she does is consume food, time, changing nappies. Uh, She is useless. (laughs) She's not. I love her. But anyway, I do love her. Don't don't write in. Anyway, um, I love her. But I think there's something interesting there, isn't it? But because Jesus says, um, how, uh, how do you receive the kingdom? Be like a child. He doesn't say, how do you go out and get the kingdom? He doesn't say, how do you work hard for the kingdom? He says, how do you receive the kingdom of God? Like a child. 
and children just receive. My, uh, my five-year-old is getting really frustrated with our one-year-old because she does so little. And uh, he's, he said to me the other day, Daddy, I wish there was a buggy for five-year-olds just like there is for Emma. It's unfair because she just sits there and gets pushed around everywhere. I want one. I said, well, so do I. Why don't you get me one? Get an adult buggy for me. Push me around. But I think there's an amazing picture here of what we're supposed to be. is just to receive the kingdom with open hands, to say, I can't achieve anything on my own, but I know that you can do it, so I want to receive from you. And that posture of reception is absolutely crucial. Ask in prayer. Ask, Jesus says, and you'll receive. Seek, he says, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. If you ask, you will receive. So receive like a child. Go from... um, uh, uh, achieve, go from achieving to receiving. And, and then the last one about being a kid, being a child. Move from fear to faith. Yeah, children have an amazing faith. It's kind of innate within them. They just trust people. They trust. And obviously over time you learn that you can't trust everyone. And fear begins to creep in. But as a child you've got this amazing faith and trust and Jesus is not saying be like a child in every respect. You know, don't, you don't have to throw, don't throw tantrums. Don't be led by your emotions the whole time. But what he is saying is there's a power in faith that is like a child. Uh, this, uh, this week, I've been trying to write this sermon. And the other day, I thought I'll get up early and I'll write a bit more of my, my talk. And um, at five o'clock, Emma started crying and it was my, my turn so I, I went out and I went to go and see, and she was just crying, and she was crying, Dada. She's going, Dada, Dada. So I went in there, and I, I sort of put my hand on her, and I shushed her. She's still crying, and I said, don't worry, Dada's here, Dada's here, Dada's here. And eventually, she sort of calmed down, and she went quiet. And I thought, Whoa, relief, right, now I can get on with uh, my sermon. She's gone back to sleep. And I just lay there next to her for a while. And then she just very quietly started singing. And uh, she, she went, uh, Dada's here, Dada here, Dada here, Dada here. And I was thinking, it's kind of sweet, but can you go to sleep? Because <laughs> I need to write my talk, so shh, shush. Um, anyway, she, went, she then went quiet, and um, I thought, okay, finally, right, beginning to creep out. And then she started singing again, and she went, Emma. Emma, happy, Emma, Emma, happy to the tune of We Will Rock You. (laughs) I was like, this is really sweet, but please go to sleep. Anyway, eventually she did go to sleep. But it's interesting, while I lay there in the dark listening to her singing, and I thought, this is quite sweet, I thought, that's something quite profound. That when we know that our dad is here, when we know that dad's here, and we're in control, he's in, contr- he's in control and not us, then we think, oh, I can relax. I can be peaceful. I can sing. I can sing. Oh, there's another, <laughs> another baby. I can sing and just say, I know, I'm happy because God's in control. You know, your father is actually far more in control than you realize, and he's there. He's with you. And so to approach God in that way is just to say, Lord, I trust you. It produces peace in our hearts. I mentioned um, 
that uh, there's this new film, The Jesus Revolution, that's, that's come out to document this hippie revival that happened in the 70s. And it stars a guy called Kelsey Grammer, if, you, if you're into Frasier, uh, he's the guy who's there. And he had a quote this week, which is interesting, um, which I think we've got on the screen. I didn't even know that he had a faith, but this is what he said. I have found great peace in my faith. Jesus made a difference in my life. That's not anything I'll apologize for. Interestingly, he picks out peace is what he's found in his faith. And I think that is the peace that comes from knowing you're a child of God and approaching him like that to know, actually, Dada's here. Father is looking after you. So, first thing that Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God come, receive it like a child. Secondly, he says, give to the poor. Give to the poor. Verse uh, 21 a young, rich, young ruler, we're told. A rich man comes to him, and Jesus says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This rich, young guy comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, it's the same question. What do I need to do to see the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, well, the commandments, you know them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. He lists six commandments. And the man says, yeah, I've done them all. And so Jesus looks at him and says, well, now just sell all you've got. And give it to the poor and then follow me. And the man is sad. He says his face was downcast because he was a rich man. He couldn't do it. What's going on here? Is Jesus saying that we, every single person, shouldn't have any money and they should give it all away? Well, I think that the key is where he says treasure. He says you will have treasure in heaven. The question is, where is your treasure? Where are you getting your identity and your fulfillment from? And I think he's analyzed that this guy is getting all of his fulfillment and identity from his wealth. He, Jesus doesn't care about the money. God doesn't care about the money. He's got all the money. What he cares about is this guy's heart. He's going after his heart. And what's interesting is that the four com- there's four commandments that are not mentioned in this. You know there are ten commandments. He lists six. There's four that are not there. And these four are all the f- commandments about worship. They're all the commandments about loving God, putting him first. This man has done everything well on the outside, looking moral. But in his heart, his heart is hardened. To God. He's not worshiping God. And so Jesus pulls that out. He draws that out. He's basically saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Don't, don't make money your number one ambition. As a number two ambition, fantastic. But make Jesus the number one ambition. And then everything else will follow. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you. Uh, Theo's uh, word. Uh, we had the, the, the word about peace, uh, which was from uh, Izzy. Then we had Theo's word was sacrifice. There is a sacrifice, a cost. But the reason why there is a cost to following Jesus is because he knows what's best for us. To give ourselves fully to him is the best investment you can ever make. And it's not because he wants to make your life miserable. 
He wants to bless your life. And God loves the rich. Did you know that? God loves rich people. Did you spot what it said in that little verse? The rich man approached Jesus. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You know, all of us, relatively speaking in the world, are rich. The good news is that Jesus looks at you and he loves you. Whatever you've got, he loves you. And uh, Jesus is not against uh, uh, owning stuff or having money. And Peter, I think, was the first-hand witness. I, what I love is the idea of the Peter saw this incident and passed this on to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. Can you imagine? It was just a look. It was just a moment. But Jesus clearly looked at this guy and loved him. He had compassion for him. But also God, God loves the poor. God loves the rich, but he also loves the poor. And he has a particular place for the poor in his heart. He cares about it because he cares about those who have less. Jesus spent all of his time ministering to those who had less. And there are so many different types of poverty, aren't there, in our world? Material poverty. We heard Hannah explaining meeting uh, this guy, Matt, and the, and the material poverty he was living in. Did you know that 100% of people in Clifton go to university of that university age? The, the percentage in Hartcliffe and Withywood is 8.2% who go to uh, university. The disparity in our city is enormous. There is huge challenges of uh, material poverty. Uh, we had this prayer room that was open, I mentioned. And uh, Kieran West, who is three years old, here's another child. I'm, all my illustrations about children because that's what we're looking at today. But he wrote something on the prayer wall, and I think we've got a little picture uh, of what he um, wrote. I think he had a bit of help from his mum, to be honest. But there we go. So Keir, uh, that's Bristol. That middle squiggle is Bristol by Kieran. And then here's what he prayed. Thank you for toys. We pray for children who don't have toys. Now, I know that's, that's sort of sweet and whatever, but I think it's something really profound. We can say, thank you, Lord, for all that you've given me. But, Lord, we pray and you help us to help those who have nothing. So material poverty, social poverty. There is huge challenge, isn't there, in our society with uh, the breakdown of families, relationships, marriages. It is so painful. Many of us are probably living with the consequences of that in our lives at the moment. But that huge, there is a huge social cost to that. It's hard being single. I was single for 40 years. I got married when I was 40. I was single for most of my life. It's really hard being single. But let me tell you, it's really hard being in a relationship. <laughs> and let me also tell you, it's really hard being married. And let me tell you, it's also really hard being a parent. It's hard. Life is hard. Relationships are hard. It's all hard. But we need to help one another, whatever stage that we're in. And that's what we want to do at this church. We want to, you know, we're running Date My Mate. This is a great thing that we're doing. We also run the pre-marriage course. We had 18 couples on the pre-marriage course to help people think about how to be married. Think about it. We run the marriage course. We need to help all of us, whatever stage that we're in. But we can make a difference to those around us in this city. Spiritual poverty. Uh, attendance in church is going down. And, uh, and yet, there is such hunger for truth. There is such hunger for reality, something that lasts longer than uh, a real, something that is much more profound and life-changing. You know, we had the Alpha Day here on, uh, yesterday. It was so amazing to be here uh, with 
Concord Church and St. Nick's Alpha. Lots of people who are not Christians and people just having the most amazing experience of meeting Jesus for themselves. And this is the hunger that there is across our city. There was a wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People were in tears in our group. There were all sorts of things going on. So we are called to give to those who have less than us. In all those ways, material poverty, social poverty, uh, spiritual poverty. Uh, Nick Cave, I don't know if you've heard of uh, this guy. He's a musician, Australian musician. uh, But he's had a a pretty difficult life. Um, He's he's always been a kind of rebellious. I think we've got a picture of him actually in the 80s. He had a band uh, in the 80s. This is in a a sort of disused church in Kilburn. But I didn't even know that. He's never really mentioned faith. But it's uh, surprising where you find God was what he he had there. He's recently had a little interview with the, church, um, the um, old Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. Uh, it was in the Sunday Times last Sunday. And he said this, as far back as I can remember, I've had a fascination with the figure of Jesus. And then he goes on to say this, there are some faint signs of people beginning to take Christian faith more seriously now in the wake of the pandemic. He says a few more people around the dinner table these days will shamefacedly admit to surreptitiously slipping into churches now and then. There is something going on. People may have issues with religion or church, but people's hunger is there. So, um, first two things that Jesus says. He says, receive the kingdom like a child. He says, give to the poor. Be generous. Be, be distinct in your generosity. And then thirdly, expect the impossible. Verse 27 of the passage says this. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. A lot of things seem impossible at the moment, don't they? You look at the world, the situation, the political situation. It looks impossible to solve. You look at the situation in the church decline. It seems impossible to solve. You might look at the situations in your life and think, I don't know how I am going to solve this issue that I'm dealing with at the moment. You might look at the the amount of money we're trying to raise, £163,679. You might think, that is impossible to raise. But, Jesus says, it's impossible for you, but nothing is impossible for God. At the beginning of this year, I was praying and saying, Lord, would you show me what you want to do this year? I've got a little picture, and I'm going to finish with this, a little picture of uh, Barney. When, uh, so Barney, I've been indoctrinating into the school of uh, Liverpool Football Club. And uh, <laughs> so that's, that's when he was two. Uh, I think we've got another picture this year. He's, he's five now. Yep, so he's got his full kit. He had a momentary waiver in like Man City for a while, but we, we got rid of that. And um, anyway, we've got a picture of him. Uh, the next picture is when he was much smaller. And he's when, when he got his first uh, football and he got a goal. There we go. Uh, just for modesty, we've got something there. Anyway, um, that's, his, that's his goal. It's tiny. So I went on this uh, little um, trip and, uh, for a re- re- retreat. And I was praying, God, what do you want to do this year? And the picture I saw, I went into this, this garden and I saw the next picture, which is those goals made by the same manufacturer. And I felt God saying, have bigger goals. Have bigger goals. And I said, what? We're working really hard. We're trying our hardest. How can I have bigger goals? I've got nothing left to give. 
And he just said, have bigger goals. Why? Because what's impossible for man is possible with God. So I'd love to challenge us all as a community and encourage us to think, how could God have bigger goals for us this year? How do we position ourselves in a place to receive the kingdom like children in prayer, repentance, worship, fasting? Uh, maybe coming on a focus is going to be amazing. Don't miss out. That is an amazing opportunity to receive from God. Whatever it is, why don't we position ourselves where we can ask God to do the impossible through us as we offer ourselves to him? Should we pray? Uh, Lord, we offer you ourselves today. And we, Lord, we are hungry for your kingdom. We thank you for the little signs that we see. The little pop, popping of these kernels of popcorn. We long for more. But Lord, all we can do is offer you ourselves. And that's what we do tonight. We offer you ourselves. We receive from you the kingdom of God. We receive from you your Holy Spirit. We receive everything you have for us. And Lord, we pray from the overflow of what you have given us that we would be distinctively generous, that we would give as people who are full of generosity. And Lord, that you would, as we do that, you would multiply the little that we've got to do the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen.